Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Dr. Sarah Tevis, Assistant Professor of Surgical Oncology at the University of Colorado School of Medicine at the Anschutz Medical Campus. Dr. Tevis treats all breast diseases, including benign breast conditions, DCIS, and invasive cancer. Much of her research focuses on psychosocial and physical well-being throughout and after breast cancer treatment. She recently conducted a study that found that many women who receive breast cancer treatment have side effects that affect their sexual health. While doctors usually talk to women about possible fertility and menopausal side effects, other common side effects, including vaginal dryness, body image issues, and lack of desire, aren't mentioned. The results also showed that women have specific preferences on how this type of sensitive information should be presented. She joins us to discuss the study. Dr. Tevis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. To start, so everyone's kind of familiar and has some background, could you tell us why you decided to do this study? Like you mentioned, I have an interest in understanding quality of life during breast cancer treatment. And so beginning in 2019, we started measuring quality of life for our patients at the time of diagnosis and then throughout treatment using a survey called the Breast Q Survey. One of the four domains of the Breast Q Survey is about sexual health. And one thing that stood out to us very early on was that when women first presented to our clinic with a new cancer diagnosis, their sexual well-being was their lowest quality of life domain. And throughout treatment, it continued to decline because a lot of the treatments we use to, to address breast cancer affect sexual health. And so that led us to survey our patients and then hold these focus groups to better understand what symptoms patients are having and how we can better support them through education. Okay, thank you. And it sounds like if I understood your answer there, so sexual health was already low in the whole quality of life scheme. And then during treatment, it just got lower. Exactly. It was lower than at at the time of diagnosis, sexual health was lower for most of our patients than physical health, psychosocial health, and how they felt about their breasts. Okay, thanks. So what were the results? What did you find? So we found that sexual health side effects during breast cancer treatment were incredibly common. Um, 93% of the women we surveyed were having some symptoms. And we found that the most common symptoms were decreased sexual desire, vaginal dryness, and less energy for sexual activity. But there were a wide range of symptoms that women were experiencing. And I think the really important thing that we found was that the sexual health symptoms that our patients were having were impacting their mental health and their relationships with their partners. And the patients told us that we did a really great job about talking about menopausal symptoms and fertility issues, but that we didn't always address some of the other issues like body image and how they'll feel about their bodies after treatment or during treatment. Okay. So why do you think that is that maybe doctors don't discuss the sexual health issues, vaginal dryness, body issues, lack of desire? Is it because it's too personal or? Yeah, well, I think when patients come in for that first visit and we heard this in our focus groups, everyone, the doctors and the patients are so focused on 
what does this new diagnosis mean? What is my treatment plan going to be? And our patients told us that that's actually a terrible time to talk about sexual health because everyone's focused on all of that planning of treatment and understanding the diagnosis. Um, and I think after that, it's something that just isn't on anyone's radar. We don't have a system in place, at least at our institution, for following up with patients and having, you know, who is the point person that's going to follow up with the patient and ask about things like sexual health or quality of life. And so unless patients bring it up or unless we're discussing it as a specific side effect of treatment, I think it, it gets kind of swept under the rug. Okay. And did you at all look at whether the doctor was a man or a woman? Did that seem to affect the conversation at all? We didn't look at that. That's an interesting question, something we could look at in the future, um, but we did not assess that. Okay. And also, it sounds like to me, and and maybe this is because I'm sort of hyper aware of everything that patients have to do. You know, you talked about unless patients bring it up, it doesn't really get discussed because obviously the doctor's focused on treatment and how is the cancer responding to the treatment. So in one sense, it's kind of putting one more thing on the patient that the patient has to remember to bring up. I guess I'm wondering what your reaction is to that. Do you think that's accurate? I think it is accurate. And we have, you know, studies in the literature that have shown that patients prefer this topic to be raised by the medical team. Patients don't like bringing up sexual health. Um, and I've just anecdotally, since we started studying this, I've really tried to incorporate into my practice talking to patients about sexual health, whether it's early on after diagnosis, whether it's when they have their surgery or if I'm seeing them after surgery. And I think what's been really interesting is I've brought this topic up and many of the patients that I've talked to are having pretty significant symptoms, but they didn't tell anyone until I specifically asked about it. And so I think, I think patients are so focused on treating their cancer that it's not at the forefront of their mind and maybe they don't realize how important it is and how we can help them through those symptoms if we, if we have that discussion. Yeah. Do you also think that maybe it's just, a, as you say, it's a sensitive topic, so maybe they're just a little uncomfortable even bringing it up? Maybe they don't think they have the right words to describe it? Yeah, and I think they don't really know if it's, you know, if that's just how it is during treatment and there's nothing to be done about it. I think another issue that came up in our focus groups is that we encourage patients to bring family members with them to visit so that they have another set of ears to hear the information. and depending on who those family members are, they may not feel comfortable having those conversations in front of family. Sure, that makes total sense. Now, what about timing? You had said earlier that both doctors and the women said at that first treatment planning session, that's a terrible time to discuss these kinds of side effects. When is a good time? Like when were women comfortable? Was it soon after that? I, I'm thinking that if it goes on for a while, then that's maybe too long. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great point. And the women in our focus groups, basically the summary was early and often. And so that's one of the reasons we chose to move forward with a video series as opposed to like an in-clinic intervention, because we felt like it was something we could give to patients very early on and they could access it when they were ready and access whatever sections of the videos were pertinent to them. So I think it is important for women to have that information early because it may influence their treatment decisions or it may um, prepare them better for what to expect when they start a specific treatment. 
Okay. So tell me a little bit about the videos. Is it, uh, are they basically doctors explaining the symptoms? Did you talk to patients? Um, what are they? All of the above. Um, <laughs> I think the I think the the highlight of our videos is going to be patients. We've been really fortunate throughout this entire project to have very engaged patients, and so some of the patients from our focus groups have continued to be involved in our research and development of these videos because they feel it's so important for future patients to have these resources. And so we've been really lucky to have a really uh, engaged group of patients that helped us develop the videos and have agreed to be filmed in the videos. And so I think that will really resonate with patients. And then we also have you know, members of our multidisciplinary team, uh, doctors, psychologists, physician assistant, and others that are going to participate in the videos talking about kind of four main topics. So we're going to review what to expect with breast cancer surgery and how to prepare for that day of surgery and recovery. And then we're going to talk a lot about the expected sexual health side effects of treatment and some mitigation strategies patients can do at home to improve those side effects. And then finally, we heard from patients that they really wanted information about how to talk to their partners, just communication about intimacy. We had patients who had questions about dating, how to start dating during or after breast cancer treatment, and just have those conversations with people about their diagnosis. And so those are all things we're hoping to cover. And we're hoping all of the videos will be broken out into short little one or two minute, um, easily digestible uh, video clips that patients can access. Okay, that sounds great. And sounds like something that's definitely needed. Could you talk a little bit more about how different groups of women wanted to receive the information, like what form, like the videos sound great, but I know some people maybe would rather read something. I think most of the women in your study were white. So do, you know, do you think these results, are they applicable to a lot of different groups or does more research need to be done? Did, you know, do older women like, you know, a certain type of medium? Do younger women, maybe they like videos better? I don't know. That's a very large question. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I think those are all really good questions. We are currently expanding a lot of our research studies that we've been doing at the Anschutz campus to Denver Health, which is one of our safety net hospitals. And so I think that will be a good um, opportunity for us to share the videos with a more diverse group of patients to make sure that they are applicable to a, a broad range of women. In terms of what types of resources patients preferred, it wasn't really based on age, but we did have patients who kind of preferred things they could do on their own. So reading or videos that they could watch at home. Um, patients liked the idea of videos because they thought they could watch them with a partner or, you know, a significant other. We had other patients who really like wanted a one-on-one -on -one interaction, whether it was with a member of their clinical team, or we have a really great sexual health consultation service. And then we had some groups of patients that really seemed drawn to more group activities, so workshops or um, support groups. One thing that came up in the focus groups was that patients thought for those group activities, they'd prefer to be with patients more like them. So if they were postmenopausal and married, they wanted to be with that type of patient population as opposed to women who were you know, younger and had you know, growing families. They wanted to be with patients that were more similar to them which makes sense because I think they would have unique concerns and, and things they would want to talk about. 
Sure, that makes sense. Obviously, younger woman is more likely to be concerned about fertility, older women, not so much. So, okay, that makes good sense. Um, now, do you think if women get this information, say they watch the video or they participate in a focus group, I'm wondering, and your research may not have looked at this, but do you think that makes them then more likely to feel comfortable bringing it up with their doctor? You know, like if they've seen the videos, talked to other people, it's like, okay, I can, I can talk about this now. I'm comfortable. That's what we're hoping. We're hoping that they'll not only educate patients, but empower them to feel more comfortable talking about these topics. And, and as you mentioned earlier, maybe giving them the language to describe what they're experiencing. And we also hope with the videos to provide links for other local resources like support groups and workshops and things like that. And so we're hoping that the videos will be an educational tool, but will also really be a conduit for patients to seek care if they're having significant symptoms, equip them with the language to describe what's happening. And then we'll give them specific situations where we recommend that they you know, stop trying things at home and actually reach out to their healthcare team. Okay. And then finally, you're in Colorado, which is great, but I know all of our listeners are not in Colorado. So would these videos be available to folks outside of your medical system? Are they just going to be online for everyone or do they have to be a patient there? So initially, we're going to take the, the videos back to our, our patients who helped us develop them and so that we make sure that they are appropriate and have the, the information that patients really wanted. And we're working with a really fantastic nonprofit group, Catch It In Time, that's, that's committed to helping us develop the videos in a user-centered fashion so that they really are the best possible resource for patients. And once we have them um, finalized, we will make them widely available online. Oh, that's great. That's great. And when do you anticipate? Is there a completion date? We're currently editing the videos. So oh. we're hoping in the next few months that we'll be able to take them back to our patients and get more feedback. And then if we need to make any changes, do that. So I'm hoping at the latest by early next year. Okay, great. And so if somebody were interested early next year in watching them, would they just uh, Google University of Colorado Medical School? breast cancer? <laughs> yes. So the videos, when they are complete, will be housed on the Colorado Program for Patient-Centered Decisions website. Okay, perfect. Dr. Tavis, thank you so much. This has been really helpful and informative. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.